This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to The Bunker Interview. I'm Sean Pattenden. Today we are thrilled to welcome author, playwright, co-founder of the Women's Prize for Fiction and all-round literary firebrand Kate Moss. Kate has published nine novels and short story collections, including, of course, the multi-million selling Languedoc trilogy. Her books have been translated into 38 languages and published in more than 40 countries. As if that's not enough, she also sits on the executive committee of Women of the World. Kate has just published Warrior Queens and Quiet Revolutionaries, How Women Also Built the World. And she calls it a love letter to the importance of history in the book itself. Hello, Kate. Hello, lovely to be here. Oh, it's fantastic to have you here. The book came out, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you asked people to name women they felt didn't get recognition or indeed weren't even in the history books and you used social media for this. Were you surprised at the response you got? Yes, it was um, one of those extraordinary moments. You know, I was publishing a new novel into the most difficult in for, for many of us, lockdown of uh, 2021. And it was January, it was cold and there was no end in sight and... Uh, the level of political incompetence had started to get to us all. And I thought, well, I want to do something positive. So I mm-hmm. simply put out on social media that one question, name a woman you would like to celebrate or you think should be better known. And within days, I had thousands of nominations, one from a young woman in China saying, did I know about the Chinese poet Ding Ling, who had mm-hmm. been a very strong feminist voice and imprisoned for her views, or from a woman in Saudi Arabia asking me about the great Egyptian feminist Huda Shawawi, who had taken off her veil at Cairo railway station in that seminal moment. I just was overwhelmed by many of the women I did know, but of course, many, many more I didn't. Yes, absolutely. And I think you were right. In your foreword, it seems to still shock you, and I'm presuming that shock actually hasn't ended, that half the population were just not represented in the history books. We always see these women, you know, who are put up as historical figures, as as these glitches in time. They they were doing something, you know, that wasn't quite right. But it's it's so much more common. There were women that were just written out. 90% of Wikipedia entries, as you say, are written by men. What is this silence in the archives, as you call it? Well, you know, I, in a way, the book is me asking the question, how has it happened? We all know, every single person listening to this knows that the world has been built by women and men together. But yet the record of how history is made is incredibly partial. So really you have to say, okay, why has that happened that women are routinely in every single area not put in the history books. Some of it's obvious and some of it may be less so. The first thing is very straightforwardly that history has almost always been in the hands in terms of the writing of it, um, of 
a very small number of men, mostly in religious or academic institutions. And therefore, they just don't see women's contributions as significant or important. But actually, beyond that, there is the, if you like, there's the myth of, okay, women weren't there. And then you can point to every single period of history and say, well, there were women inventors and there were women fighters and there were women scientists. But then the next one is, okay, there are some women there, but they weren't doing anything. (laughs) We allow some of them as long as they're doing the washing up. Long they're doing the washing up. That's <laughs> called in science the Matilda effect. Of course. And you talk about that. Tell us what the Matilda effect actually is, because it comes well, from science solely, but obviously we can broaden that out to uh, everything. We, we absolutely can. So the phrase was coined by an American science historian called Margaret W. Rossiter in the 1970s to observe the phenomenon that uh, often, if there were male and female scientists working together, the work was entirely attributed to the men. And the assumption was that the women were absolutely only there in a subsidiary capacity or to make the tea or whatever. Now, one of the most famous examples of this is, of course, the great Lise Meitner, uh, who was denied her share of the Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1944 and had to watch it being given to her male counterpart, even though he said this is her work. Now, in science, it's everywhere that, uh, the, you know, the, the person who actually discovered climate change is a woman called Eunice Newton Foote. But nobody's heard of her because her research was used by a man a little bit later who then did the next bit of the puzzle. There is always the idea that maybe women weren't very well known in their day. And that's why we don't know them now. That's why there's a silence in the archives. But what I discovered time and again was that often women were incredibly well known in their day. It's just that the writing of history subsequently has written them out. Mary Anning, the great fossil hunter, is a good example of that. Or Mary Seacole. Of course, this leads us to your great-grandmother, who was very well known in her day, the writer Lily Watson. But you could find no record of her. And this is your personal journey in the the book as well. Well, I knew that if I was going to write this book, and there's nearly a thousand women in the book, and it's it's a celebration, it's a joyous book, and it's very much a book to be dipped in and out of. And I have divided into 10 different subject areas, broadly speaking. Obviously, I couldn't resist the one on law being called a woman's places at the bar. <laughs> Which I did. It, I did enjoy uh, that time. We all <laughs> like that, I think. And then there's mothers of invention and there's the pen is mightier, you know. Um, so, But I knew that I needed something more than that to make it my book. You know, I've been involved in campaigning and celebrating and amplifying women's voices for all of my adult life. And... I felt that I needed something personal in this book to make it uh, sing, if you like. And I did know that there was somebody in my family who wrote. It was always said like that, as if it was a little sideline. But what I discovered was that, as you said, my great-grandmother, Lily Watson, was a very famous novelist in her day. She was beloved of the Prime Minister um, as a writer. She wrote 14 novels, hundreds of essays and articles, and she wrote devotional poetry. Yet every single one of her books is out of print. She, her name appears nowhere in any record of Victorian literature. And at the heart of that, I wanted to think, ask the question again. If a woman like that can disappear, then what about everybody else? Who is the most surprising name in there, do you think? There are so many names. It's, it's really hard to answer that. But I think what I enjoyed most is this one. In 
I can only assume after a particularly annoying weekend where nobody had cleared up after themselves or done anything, nobody had lifted a finger. <laughs> I know what you're going to say now. Josephine As a woman, Co- I understand there's yeah. a need for these things. Yeah. Uh, Josephine Cochran <laughs> in Chicago left her kitchen in 1893 and went to mm. a shed at the bottom of her garden and invented... The dishwasher, um, which is obviously a delight. But then there are other delights like, you know, Florence Nightingale. So Florence Nightingale is known for being a nursing pioneer. But actually, did you know that Florence Nightingale invented the pie chart? She was a brilliant mathematician and statistician, but was never allowed to be presented as a woman with many different skills. She was always not reduced because, of course, nursing is one of the most important things a person could do. But it was like nursing, a caring, that's appropriate for women. But being a great statistician, that's not appropriate. So I found lots of those things. And of course, that makes sense, doesn't it? We all do lots of things. We're not just one one thing. So I enjoyed all of that. I did very much enjoy some of the extraordinary pirate queens, uh, you know, who had huge fleets or the Mongolian princess Cthulhuan. Uh, who said she would marry provided her suitors could beat her in wrestling. And if they lost, they had to give her a hundred horses or some stories say a thousand. And, yeah. the, and the, the, the history is that she ended up with a herd of 10,000 horses uh, because she was the best wrestler in Mongolia at the time in the 13th century. There's something very Beyonce about that, isn't there? Very, <laughs> very Beyonce. Tell us about women's football, though, because this is amazing. And Lily Parr, who I'd never heard of until I started reading this book. And apparently Claire Balding talked all about Lily Parr. Many um, writer friends and other types of friends gave me suggestions for the campaign in the first place. And Claire Balding suggested Lily Parr. And so I went in search of Lily Parr. And she is the most important uh, British female footballer of all time. She scored over a thousand goals in her professional career. There is a statue to her, the only statue to a female footballer there is in the country. And she played for the most famous female team called Dick Carr Ladies. Now, during the First World War, women's football was the sport to the degree that the Boxing Day match, which Lily Parr played in um, in 1918, there were 48,000 members of the audience. But what happened here was that the Football Association, the FA, resented how popular the women's game was. So they said to all the major clubs, you're not allowed to let the women play on your pitches. So they actively destroyed the women's game. It wasn't that nobody wanted to watch women playing football. They made it impossible for that to happen. Lily Parr later on in life and worked um, in all sorts of areas and lived with her female partner for a very long time. And all of her history was completely lost. Um, and again, I think what is joyous about this book is what was the key thing that happened? The lionesses. And suddenly everybody's interested in women's football again and people going, oh, I see, they deliberately stopped the women playing then. So this is not new and now it's back and that's wonderful. I love the way that I did look. So I rustled through the index, went, ooh, 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 and sort of marked some. But also I'd look to see if Thatcher was in there. Ooh, (laughs) went to the Thatcher page, but you've got Barbara Castle and Margaret Thatcher on the same page and I thought, result. There was something about that balance, Kate. Well, you know, women's <laughs> um, place in history cannot be about likability. Yeah. <laughs> it cannot be yeah. about whether you agree with her mm, or admire mm. her. This mm. is history is about people who made a difference. And so there will be many people who think Margaret Thatcher made an enormous difference for the better. And then others of us, maybe not. Um, but was she significant? 
Of course she was. The difference is, you will notice, that Barbara Castle has quite a lot about her (laughs) and Margaret Thatcher not so much. Yes, I did notice that. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Has there been a sea change in the past couple of decades or so in the way that history is written, in the way that we are now viewing history as having been so selective? Yes, there has been. And obviously, the very right-wing press that we have at the moment in this country Mm -hmm. um, has chosen to portray a lot of that as anti-British. But truthfully, only societies that are in trouble are challenged by looking into the realities of all of history. So the thing is that we need all of history to be there because that is how we interpret who we are. But there is a dialogue about that. It's A lot of it is around race. But in terms of women, it's more that when I do events, people go, I never knew that. And I think that is what we're trying to do now. You know, when I was at school, I wasn't taught about any women at all in my history lessons, not a single one, except Queen Victoria appeared and Elizabeth, if you're doing the Tudor period and the wives. But now we know so, so much more. The thing that people need to remember, I suppose, is that history is a pendulum. Oh, yes, yes. I was going to come to this. Yeah. <laughs> what I call two steps forward, one step back. Exactly. But you call it a pendulum that swings actually slightly more frighteningly. Yes, yes. And swings to extremes. And we can see this happening at the moment. In August 2021, before the Taliban went back into Afghanistan, There were more women in the Afghan parliament than there were women in any other parliament in the world. And I was going to mention Iran as well, which is seeing something else happening at the moment and is becoming more progressive, we think, as Afghanistan is going backwards. But what is, again, significant there is if you see pictures of uh, women in Tehran in 1978, you know, you could be looking at pictures of Naples or Florence or, you know. um, And so the thing is that, New regimes to shore up power almost always target women as a way of trying to prove power. And there is no other group in the world that has repeated assaults on bodily autonomy, whether that's what they're wearing or their right over their own body to have a child. This only happens to women. Um, you know, And so it's very important to realise that things that have been gained, rights have been gained, other women made it possible. And things can go backwards, as you say, as well as forwards. And this, again, is why I'm so passionate about history, because if you realise that, you're in a position to protect Mm -hmm. the rights that you think matter. I would quickly say also in this country, the benefits 
debate at the moment about not putting benefits up with inflation is an attack against women because women are the primary um, receivers of benefit and especially single parents. So yes, we see it happening all over. In terms of your fiction writing, I wanted to ask, will this shape the way you write your next novels? What's changed about you and the way you're seeing characterization and representation? That's a lovely question, but actually it won't make any difference. I've written nonfiction and fiction all of mm. my career. The thing that drives all of my writing is imagination, is emotion, and it's a sense of place and context. And so I spend a huge amount of time researching for my historical fiction. And the backdrop to the, my historical fiction is researched history. When you are writing a piece of historical fiction, you have that little gap between what you know and what you can imagine. And that's in a way where the story comes and where the characters come. But when you're trying to bring to life a woman who lived 2,000 years ago, you have to have the skills of a novelist because you can only shut your eyes and imagine because you don't have a picture. You don't have mostly writing in her own words. And even if you do, you don't know how unadulterated or unedited it is. So the act of writing is always one of imagination, even if you're writing a nonfiction book. I've loved writing Warrior Queens and Quiet Revolutionaries, but it feels um, the same process, honestly, as it is in us women writing fiction. I was going to ask, and apropos of what we were talking about just a second ago, women in modern day history, as in now, how are we faring? We have a very polarised culture in terms of social media and representation. Do you think that some sectors are harsher on women in the public eye than they ever have been? Not than they ever have been, but we mm -hmm. know about it. So um, I think part of the reason that we have such uh, inadequate and in many cases uh, self-serving and inappropriate people in uh, politics at the moment is that it is so brutal and so uh, binary and so soundbitey and trivial the way that serious things are discussed that anybody with any common sense doesn't want to go anywhere near it. Um, there are <laughs> yes. many fantastic female MPs, and, um, and I admire them enormously, who have to take rape and death threats as just a, a normal standard. part of a day's work. It's crazy, now, isn't it? that isn't a society that any of us should be happy living in. Now, technology has made a lot of that possible, but this is precisely what's always happened. You know, when the great uh, playwright, uh, Afra Ben, was writing... What happened in order to try to make her seem less important or to reduce her reputation or to make her you know, invisible in the world? Well, people wrote pamphlets attacking her sexuality, attacking her behaviour, attacking her morality. There's always been this agenda around any woman in the public eye, I'm afraid. Um, we should be not accepting that. And men should not accept it. You know, we should all just say the people who do that are behaving criminally and that should be the end of it. Um, but... On a lighter note, truthfully, in many countries in the world, not all, there has never been a better time to be a woman. It's accepted in most places that women and men should have equal rights. Not everywhere. The idea that women should have as many rights over their own money and their uh, occupations as men is very, very modern. It's living memory that women used to have to give up their jobs when they married. And in terms of public health, people routinely live into their 80s and their 90s, whereas even 100 years ago um, were dying, you know, a child had a one in five chance of dying before she or he hit their fifth birthday. Things are always getting better. 
but they can get worse. I just think we should try to leave the world in a better state than when we found it. And we should look after it. Um, I'm with you. On that. <laughs> um, we've just seen the resignation of our third female prime minister. How will history remember Liz Truss? Well, I'm afraid history will remember Liz Truss as the shortest serving prime minister. It's, it's that. <laughs> well, you're being very tactful <laughs> as, well. <laughs> as well. But yes, I agree. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You're taking the show Warrior Queens on the road next year. We always ask musicians this when we talk to them. What's on your rider? I don't know what my rider is. Your rider is what you ask for backstage. So oh. is it whiskey? Is it wine? Is it crisps? Is oh, it that's a cheese oh, board? Well, or I better a... check. I have a contract that has a rider in it. That's extremely exciting. Um, <laughs> I am. Oh, yeah. What will I want? Ice, actually. Yeah, I always like um, I like ice in my wine and I like ice in my water. So I'd love ice. No, truthfully, I will be, um, I say this now, I'll be very easy. It's quite a thing to be starting a new career in your 60s. One woman <laughs> show going around the country. Um, but, you know, it's going to be wonderful doing a show one night in Derby, the next night in uh, Bournemouth, the next night in Portsmouth. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so long as I've got my trusty hot water bottle, I'll be all right. Right. Okay. Well, you're very humble. And and lastly, do you find it easy to reserve posh restaurant tables? Because the name must work with literary and fashion circles, Kate. Very well. I do have a a funny story on this one that my American literary agent is called George Lucas. (laughs) Um, Genuinely is called George Lucas. And so he rang up uh, to get a table (laughs) in New York. Yeah, because that's where the trouble starts. You can never get a table in any of those restaurants. I truthfully, I don't really care about those restaurants anyway. You know, I'm very happy with the baked potato. Um, but anyway, off we were going, and we arrived, um, and there was this like crowd of photographers outside the restaurant, and we just kind of strolled in, going, "Oh, I wonder who's in." You know, it's very exciting. And arrived, and uh, you know, and he said, and he's English as well. He said, uh, "You know, this is uh, George Lucas uh, and Kate Moss," and we saw the absolute horror on the maitre d's face that he had assumed, quite understandably, that it was the other Kate Moss and the other George Lucas, <laughs> as we were shown to this incredible table in this very famous oh. restaurant that, you know, and I, I, I don't know what I was wearing, but I was probably dressed in a jumper. Mm. You know, we, we really didn't look, we looked like two, you know, slightly shabby English people who worked in the mm. book world. <laughs> we did not look like anybody was going to pap. And then, of course, it was completely clear that somebody in the restaurant had tipped you know, the photographers yeah. off and they yeah. were not there when we came out. <laughs> but I hope you had a lovely meal. Do you know, I can't even remember <laughs> what we had. 
I just can remember it just being that hilarious moment that it's not it's not just being Kate Moss but George Lucas as well. It all <laughs> no, made so, so much sense. <laughs> Fantastic, Kate! It's been such a delight to talk to you. I can listen to you for hours because you know Yay, your stuff. Come to the yeah. theatre show. <laughs> Oh, I will. I will. I will bring you wine and cheese for your uh, rider. Warrior Queens and Quiet Revolutionaries is out now. And for those listening, there's a new edition of The Bunker every morning. So please do subscribe and back us on Patreon. Just search Bunker Podcast Patreon for lots of extras and exclusives. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. The Bunker Daily was presented by Sean Pattenden. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis. And the producers were Jacob Archbold, Yelna Sofronievich, and me, Alex Reese. The assistant producer was Kasia Tomashevich. Our marketing manager is Gina Richard. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Bunker.